I want to invite everyone to open your Bibles to the book of 1 Peter. Our journey in 1 Peter brings us to chapter 2, uh, chapter 2, verses 18 to 25. I don't know, like, if you guys, if this has come out of me since I've been here, I don't know, it's been three and a half years, we know each other pretty well, I'm a pretty stubborn person. Uh, in fact, I'm so stubborn that I will argue until I'm blue in the face just so I'm not proven wrong. I'll know that I'm wrong, right? I've, I've done this with Mallory several times. I know I'm wrong, but boy, I will not be proven wrong. <laughs> I'm going to argue up, right, left, and down. It also means that sometimes I'm going to do the opposite of what I'm told to do. I'm going to do it my own way, my own time. And obviously, this leads to very happy moments in my life, in my marriage, and everything. But I mentioned before I had a pastoral internship in Virginia. And uh, the pastor that I was under, that I was with, is from Pennsylvania. And I'm from Mississippi, and so I've talked before about how different our personalities were. Now, I don't know if you guys know anybody from Pennsylvania, but I like to describe them as rough around the edges, Right? They, they aren't like Midwest, you know, Missouri, Mississippi folk, you know, like, hey, how you doing? Like, they'll tell you, like, just to your face, uh, you know, what they're thinking, right? Outspoken, uh, just kind of brash, and me being from Mississippi, I'm really nice, you know, and, and beat around the bush with stuff, people pleaser, that kind of stuff. Well, at one point, we were planning a community event, much like our community picnic that we have here. Uh, and he gave us very specific instructions about what he wanted us to do, me and Mallory. Very specific. He said, I want you to go to Costco, and they have a tarp. 16 by 20, you can get it for this much. I want you to get this tarp. And I want you to cut these shapes into this tarp, these specific shapes. And I want you to assign these numbers to these shapes. So that, right, it can be a game you can throw a football through. I hear, heard him say this, but I just took it more as a suggestion. This is what you could do. Uh, but I bet I could do better. So I go, not to Costco, I go to Lowe's, and I'm like, oh, I can get this tart for much cheaper. Oh, instead of these shapes, these shapes are going to be much better. And I, we made our own little design. And it turned out to be a complete dud. We had all these kids at this event lining up to throw the football through it, but they couldn't get through it because it was so small. And we made this thing so small that it was impossible for them. So, like, if it was, like, from here to here, we're like, with each kid, we're like, okay, you can scoot up, you can scoot up. And they still weren't able to make it. It was a complete duck. And so it's a joke now, but I realize that what he told me to do, he told me to do it that way for a specific reason. We ended up making another one for another event the way that he designed it, and it was so much better. People were making the football through the shapes. It was awesome. I think that uh, at our finest moments, we have the same tendency. I know they said this, but actually I'm going to do it this way. Because we think we know better. And I think if we're honest with ourselves, we treat Scripture the same way. I know Scripture says this, but I'm, I'm going to do, do it this way. I'm going to act this way. And I think that's true, especially when it comes to suffering. I think all of us know, right? Yeah, like, he who follows Jesus Christ will be persecuted. But when suffering comes, we fall apart. 
Don't we? We question everything. Like, why is this happening to me? Is God good? Is, is the Bible true? Why, why, why me? We act like suffering is like this foreign, uh, op, like antithetical thing to us as being Christians when it happens. First Peter has a lot to say about suffering. In fact, this design is very intentional. The background is supposed to be like fire. And you can see fire in the uh, little design things. And that's because first uh, chapter of First Peter, he mentions that, right, you shouldn't be surprised at what? The fiery trials. So fiery trials are, are common and, and should be expected by Christians. And, and in fact, the vast majority of chapters 3 and 4 are about suffering. So we have a long way to go. And the reason that this is so important is just as being holy means we submit to one another in love, and just as holy means submitting to governing authorities like we saw last week, holiness also means submitting to suffering. And there's a specific kind of suffering that God has called us to submit to. Uh, a specific way. A kind of suffering that glorifies God. So let's read our text this morning, chapter 2, starting in verse 18. It, it will be on the screen as well. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing when, mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is, is it if, when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example, so that you might follow in his footsteps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. So, right out of the bat, we can see that this passage is aimed at servants or, or slaves. Those, those words are interchangeable. But this passage isn't really about slaves and masters, even though it's addressed to them. It's about suffering. So if you want to know more, or maybe know more about how we should think about slavery, go home this afternoon, uh, go to our website, and there's a wonderful sermon from Ephesians chapter 6, 5 to 9, uh, and give it a listen, and that'll help you think about uh, slavery. Suffice it to say that the slavery that existed in Peter's day vastly different than it has existed for the past 400, 500 years. But it's certainly interesting, isn't it, that Peter addresses slaves or servants, but not their masters. In other uh, letters of Scripture, like in Paul's letters, he says slaves do this, masters do this. Peter just addresses servants. And I think that his intention here is important because slaves had no rights. They were property. They didn't belong to a family. They weren't viewed as humans. They were property. They were servants. 
And so Peter in this passage is describing the kind of suffering that happens in our most helpless position. Powerless to stop. No rights that you can claim. And so I mentioned that Peter has a specific kind of suffering in mind. A kind that glorifies God. And the suffering that glorifies God is first of all, suffering for doing good. Suffering for doing good. Peter calls on uh, servants here to, verse 18, be subject to your masters with all respect. This is the same as the preceding passage. You guys remember the breakthrough we had last week? Verse 17, honor everyone. What does that word everyone mean? Everyone, yes, yes. It's this crazy like hidden secret in God's language. Yeah, honor everyone. So he's, that includes slaves honoring, showing respect to their masters. And remember, right, from last week, if Christians uh, were, were like thinking we're part of this holy nation, the church, how do we now interact with this unholy nation in which we now live? I think slaves certainly would have been asking a very similar question. If I am now free in Christ, if I'm considered a priest in the sight of God, privileged above all creatures to be saved by this grace, how do I now respond to someone who owns me? be a really important question to ask. Peter says, be subject to them. Submit to them. With all respect. And, and this, is, this is especially astounding. Not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. I think it's fair to say that your love for your football team, basketball team, is indicated by several things. Um, but one, I think, of the most important is how much you hate uh, referees uh, and when they make calls uh, against your team. Uh, I've yelled myself hoarse at some poor middle-aged white dude that I don't even know before, all right? And it's okay because everybody else was doing it too. But some of the worst, worst moments are those games that are determined by the ref's call. We like to say that every time our team loses, oh, ref, ref. Some games really are determined by a ref's call. And it totally deflates you because it's so unfair. That's the idea that, idea that Peter has in mind here. It's, this is lopsided suffering that he's talking about. Unfair suffering. Verse 19. For this is a gracious thing when, mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly, unfairly. For what credit is it if, when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. Notice, notice how Peter makes a sandwich right there, right? He, he says, it's a gracious thing, mindful of God, suffering unjustly. It's a gracious thing in the sight of God. He makes, makes a sandwich there. And the kind of suffering that glorifies God is suffering for doing good. Or suffering unfairly. When all that you've done is good, and you still suffer. 
It's not suffering if you punch somebody and they punch you back. It's not suffering if you act like a jerk and someone acts like a jerk back to you. Those are all just consequences or for poor choices or sins. It's like thinking you're suffering right when you turn 50 and you have chronic stomach problems when you've eaten nothing but Popeyes your whole life. I'm suffering for the glory of God. That's just Popeyes getting back at you. I know someone who has a lot of pain in their life and they love to complain about it, but they fail to see that it, it, lots of it is due to their own poor choices. And that's the, those are the ones, the kinds of suffering we get really whiny about, isn't it? Peter says there's no credit for suffering like that. There's no credit for Christians who are hated because they haven't acted like Christians at all, but like hypocrites. On the other hand, I know someone just the other day was telling me uh, he and his family were at a restaurant and his parents came into the same restaurant. And they sat down at a table right behind them, but when they realized that he and his family were there, they left. His parents um, totally ignore him, not because... He's been a jerk to them, but because he's been trying to share the gospel with them. That's unfair. Or uh, the lady who's been faithful and humble her whole life, and she still has chronic health problems that are untreatable. It's unfair suffering. The hardest suffering to endure is to suffer for doing good. Either because you've done something good, or even though you've done nothing but good. You've been nothing but faithful. Peter says this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. This is a gracious thing. Leonard Goppelt wrote of this passage. He said, whoever bears unjust affliction from people in the way that Christ did participates in his path and the path leading to salvation. Grace summoned this person to such conduct and grace brings him to its goal. Suffer unfairly means to suffer for doing good. And suffering for doing good is suffering that glorifies God. But this brings up an important point. Because there's something in us that fights tooth and nail against being treated unfairly. This is what I mean when I from the introduction about when, yeah, we can talk about this all day, but when it actually happens... Who's the most upset by it? Growing up with one brother, it didn't matter how good my mom was to us or how much she got for us. We were spoiled. I still am spoiled. If we got a whiff of unfair treatment. No, to suffer in this way means you need something deeper to sustain you. A conviction that's going to help you endure through it. So our second point. Suffering that glorifies God is suffering while entrusting. After, after this call to submit to their masters who, who might treat them unfairly, Peter calls their attention to the example of Christ. Verse 20, or I'm sorry, verse 21. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example, so that you might follow in his steps. 
The whole reason servants, slaves are called to this kind of suffering is because Christ suffered this way. The whole reason we in this room are called to suffer in this way is because Christ suffered this way. And this means our suffering isn't aimless, right? It, shooting guns is really fun, but you know what's not fun? Just shooting air. You gotta have something to shoot. A Coke can, uh, a rock, I don't know, a limb. You gotta shoot something. You have to have something to aim at. So our suffering has a specific target. We have an aim at which we want to go for our suffering, and that's to suffer how Christ suffered. And Christ suffered not only for doing good, but He continued to do good while He suffered. Verse 22. He committed no sin. Neither was deceit found in His mouth. When He was reviled, He did not revile in return. When He suffered... He did not threaten. This reminds me of how Paul described being an apostle in 1 Corinthians. Being an apostle is awesome. Listen, listen, if you want to be an apostle, this is what it means. To the present hour, we hunger and thirst. We are poorly dressed and buffeted and homeless. And we labor working with our hands. When reviled, we bless. When persecuted, we endure. When slandered, we answer kindly. We have become and are still like the scum of the world, the refuse of all things. So we're not only called to this kind of suffering that's a, a, a result of doing good, but called to continue doing good while suffering. You could say our suffering is a, a silent suffering. It's a suffering that empties us, yet we still pour ourselves out even when we're empty. It's a suffering that happens even when we haven't slandered, and yet when we are slandered, we what? We bless in return. We have to ask ourselves, is this how Christians truly respond to suffering in our day and in our culture? How many Christians truly expect suffering and how many are actually prepared to sing and to bless while doing it? Man, I, I talk a lot about our rights in America, right? And, and I, rights are good things, but this is an important we, question we have to ask ourselves. If those rights were taken away and we had done everything right, would we bless the very ones who took them away from us? What if we became like these slaves that Peter is addressing? This kind of suffering does not make sense. It doesn't make sense. It will never make sense unless there is something deeper. A conviction. And entrusting. How did Jesus do this? Verse 23, when He suffered, He did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. Without a God who judges justly, none of this suffering makes any kind of sense. And conversely, it's when we lash out and when we threaten and when we revile that shows we're not really believing that God will judge justly. 
No, our, our definition of justice cannot be determined by our temporal treatment. Martin Luther King is famous for saying, the arc of the moral universe is long, but it bends toward justice. That's because behind that arc is the God of justice, and all rights and all wrongs will be assessed and judged by Him. Psalm 73 beckons us to this same vision, wrestling with how the wicked always get away with it. The wicked always get away with it. I mean, think of who you see as wicked, right? We blame who? Like the media or a political party. The wicked, they're always getting away with it. But he writes, when I tried to understand all this, it was oppressive to me till I entered the sanctuary of God. Suffering that glorifies God is suffering that entrusts to God. And when we entrust to God is when we can follow Christ's example. Finally, suffering that glorifies God is a suffering out of love. And that's the last two verses, 24 and 25. And really, they aren't separate. They're, they're, they belong together. And I don't, I don't want to act like I can separate them, but there is a subtle, subtle shift here. It's, it's almost imperceptible. And if verses 21 and 23 are about following Christ's example, verses 24 and 25 are about what Christ has accomplished. And, and, and Peter, all of this is basically from Isaiah 53. He writes in verse 24, He himself, bore our sins in His body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By His wounds you have been healed. There is a shift from following Christ's example to beholding what Christ has accomplished. And there is a shift from suffering unjustly to the most unjust event in history. Christ is the only man to ever exist who never once sinned. In thought, in word, in motive, in deed. Out of 105 billion people to ever walk this earth, He, and He alone, was ever without sin. He came down to a creation that was His design. Made by His power. The chairs and tables that He made as a carpenter came from cheap trees that He had made by His wisdom. The people He served and He healed were His creation. Yet those people were the same ones who sinned against Him. And yet He still came. For the very ones who sinned against Him. He, the sinless one, would die for them. And not die just like taking a bullet for someone. No, He didn't just die. He bore their sins. All the sins that His creator, His creation, His creatures ever did against Him, He took on Himself. The only thing they ever earned was eternal damnation and separation from this God, but instead this God took that condemnation on Himself. 
and gave them life instead. He Himself bore our sins in His body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By His wounds you have been healed. For you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. This is the most unjust act in all of history. And any unfairness we encounter, any unjustness we encounter, is eclipsed by the person and work of Jesus Christ on our behalf. This is exactly why I like camping. The world is a messy place, and it can seem like the problems are too much. Politics and economies and drama in the Southern Baptist Convention. But stepping outside and seeing trees and mountains and beauty in nature just eclipses those things. It makes those things seem small because there's something grander and bigger. There's something grander and bigger than the ways we are treated, uh, whether it's unfairly or whether we suffer unfairly. And it's Jesus suffering unfairly on our behalf. As long as that reality grasps us, our submission to unjust suffering will be glad. We will be glad to follow in the footsteps of Him who did not revile in return because He was reviled for the way we revile Him with our sin. Every time we sin, we revile this God. But He was reviled for you. So our suffering will glorify God so long as our suffering is born out of a love for Jesus. There's another shift in this passage that I want you to notice. It's not huge. But I think, it's, I think it's something. In the passage, at the beginning, Peter's addressing slaves, right? But, but here at the end, he shifts to we. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. And the only thing that I'd like to bring to life for us is that we share the same identity as these slaves. Peter's saying we share the same identity as slaves. Because, right, just earlier in chapter 2, he already told us to use our freedom as servants of God, as slaves of God. So you are a slave of God if you have repented and put your faith in Christ. He has freed you from an eternity of suffering with the result that we can submit to suffering gladly here and now. We don't have to fear unjust treatment. So you're either a slave of God in Christ or you're still a slave to sin. You're a slave to sin if you have never repented and put your faith in Christ. God's wrath will demand payment. And that payment will either come by an eternity of suffering or it can be accomplished on the cross. All you have to do is repent and trust in Christ.
We're all slaves in this room. And God is calling us to submit to suffering. A suffering that glorifies Him in Christ. So I want to invite us as we sing in prayer to respond to God's call this morning. Let's respond to His Word. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, the only way this kind of life makes sense is if You are real, if You are true, and if You are have already done what You have called us to do. You are not calling us to do that You Yourself haven't already done. And done for us. Done on our behalf. Lord, whereas our suffering happens because we follow You, Your suffering happened to redeem us from our sins. To make payment for our sins. For words that we use. Thoughts that we have. Actions that we've taken. Evil motives that we've cherished. Bitterness and anger and slander. Your suffering has freed us from all of these things. So Lord, may we, in response to Your suffering, lay our lives down in glad submission to what You have called us to do. A suffering that glorifies God. Help us to follow You, Lord Jesus. And it's in Your name that we pray. Amen.